Um, are y'all awake this morning? Y'all okay? All right, all right, all right. Well, you're going to have to wake up, man, because we're going to be in Amos today, all right? This is your favorite book of the Bible, is Amos. But hey, before we jump into that, I got a couple things I got to tell you about this morning, okay? First off, um, we do something here called Dinner 8, okay? Dinner 8. And here's what Dinner 8 is. I got to do, before I jump into the message, I got to give you just a couple little commercials. Y'all like commercials, right? I mean, y'all don't fast forward through commercials, right? You watch them all. No. Oh, yeah, we don't even watch commercials anymore. We don't even have to do that. We've got Hulu. So here's the deal. We have something called Dinner 8. And if you've never participated in this, I would encourage you, especially if you're newer to our church um, and you've never, this is a great way to kind of get to know people. Um, even if you're kind of thinking, this may be my church home where I'm investigating, this is a great way to get to know people in our body. We do something called Dinner 8. You sign one of these forms and you drop it in that offering chest at the very back, okay, and what happens is this, we match you up with four other families and y'all have dinner. We, we give we, we make sure you have everybody's information. We set it up and you have dinner with those people once a month for the next four months. OK, and it, there's no there's no big thing that happens. You just have dinner together. Uh, you'll rotate homes. If you have a home where where, where maybe you're, you're not able to host, then someone in that group will host it twice at their home and you rotate homes and You'll, you'll, you'll decide a menu and it's, it, it works really well, well organized. Um, and so if you, today's the last day to sign up for that. Um, and I would like to see, here's my goal that everybody could get to do this. I mean, this has been wonderful because I even do it and it kind of lets me know, get to know people maybe I haven't got to know. So it's called dinner eight and that happens. Today's the last day to sign up for it. It'll start in August, go through November. You're just having dinner once a month with these people, you, know, you pick the date, usually it's a Friday or Saturday. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to help you because sometimes walking out of here, it's really hard to remember what's going on. So I need a helper first. These two guys up front. Okay. All right. Put one of these each in your hands here. And here's what I need. All I need is just one representative from each household just to stand up right now. That's all I need. Don't worry. I won't call on you. Won't make you do anything embarrassing. Won't make you run laps. Okay. Just one person from each household, stand up. And if you have not gotten one of these, take it or signed up. Just one person from every household. If you're single, then you're the household. Just one person. Everybody, just one person. If you, just one person from each household. Okay, I want to make sure everybody got just one person. If you've not, now I'm not forcing you to sign up. I just want to put it in your hand. I want to give you a chance to look at it. I want to give you a chance to kind of contemplate it as we go through today's message. Okay. And here's what you'll do. If you want to take part in dinner eight, you simply fill that out, drop that in those offering boxes, and we will email you this week and give you the information of the people you'll be in the dinner eight with. And I'm telling you, this is a great way to get to know people. I've been enthused about it every single time we've done it. It's been incredible. And so, uh, man, I'd, I'd sure encourage you to do that. Diane Ekadal puts that together in our church, and it's great every single time. Uh, also, I will tell you this. If you've been coming and you're kind of like, you know what, I want to get more involved. Is there a ministry that I can do in this church? I've got good news for you. You are about to get promoted. Um, you didn't see Tyler up here today because um, what happened is this. Summertime, and a lot of times people are out of town and go on vacation, we run about two volunteers, about four volunteers all together in our sound booth back here, right? So in our sound booth, usually there's, we got about two people that rotate and do the soundboard, and we got about two people that rotate 
and do the slides, right? Well, guess what? The perfect storm happened this week, and all those volunteers were on vacation, right? So we don't have a very deep bench in there, right? So this, this brought something to the forefront that we really need to do. We, we need some more, at least another couple set of volunteers that can get in the rotation. We'll teach you how to do the soundboard. We'll teach you how to do the slides. If you know how to press, click a mouse, you are qualified to do the slides. If, if you, if you are willing to do a little bit of learning, uh, we can teach you on the board. Okay. So here's the person you want to see. Everybody turn around and say, hi, Tyler. Okay, so Tyler usually leads our worship, but he had to bail on this today because we had no backup for the board today. So Tyler's in there. You come see Tyler after today and say, hey, I'm interested. Would you show me? And we'll teach you, And but we need a deeper bench, okay? So that's just something that's coming up. Okay, let's do this. Let's jump in to Amos here this morning. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got children's ministry, sorry. I'm just excited about Amos, sorry. Okay. You're excited. That's what I love about Kathy. Okay, we do have a children's ministry if uh, that goes up to fifth grade. So um, if you're a guest and you don't know where to go, you can go right out the door. And to the right is a children's desk. They can register your kid, help you get to the right place. But children's ministry, you're dismissed. Parents, you can take them to the children's ministry environments. By the way, even as we jump into, uh, you go ahead and look up Amos in your Bible and turn over to there. And let's stand and we're going to. We're going to we're going to read Amos this morning. By the way, we we closed out we 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 almost closed out our financial books for July. Um, and um, we we are, we're almost there to our missions giving for the month of July. So um, if you still want to help out, we haven't sent the mission checks yet. We we came short about six hundred dollars for the month of July in our missions giving. So if you'd like to make you can put it an envelope and just say goes towards July's missions and then we'll be sending the, the the missionary checks for July this week so we'll let you know about that God's been so good though man been so good um how we've been continually I mean every month it's by the the hair of our chinny chin chins but we seem to come up with that two thousand one hundred eighty dollars uh it happened last month it happened the month before that so I know God always provides well I'm looking forward to Amos here uh here's why I'm looking forward to Amos because it's kind of one of those books that maybe if you've read through the Bible or, or uh, you've obviously come across it, most of us have probably never read it who don't have maybe a system of reading through the Bible. And even I've discovered many of those that have read through it kind of was like, yeah, what's that about, right? So uh, I'm excited for us to look at Amos. Remember, if you're a guest, we're preaching through the 12 books of the minor prophets, right? So we've done Obadiah, we've done Joel, we've done Jonah, now... We're at good old Amos. Would you join with me? We're in Amos chapter 1 verse 1. We're going to read the first two verses. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of, of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, who would be Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Two years before the earthquake... And he said, this is what Amos said, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. Pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord. Would you join with me? Thank you for your word. These minor prophets are not easy books to talk about and preach about. And they're not, they're not feel good books. They don't make us feel great. 
but they sure are good for our souls. They remind us that you are holy and that you require of your people to walk in obedience and holiness. And what more motivation do I have because of the work of Christ in love to obey you? So God, let us honor this book. Let us honor these first couple verses. Let's honor this idea that God's judgment comes to his people first, to his own house. That's who you were reaching out to in this book. And we'll trust you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Okay, guys, we're going to embark on Amos now. He's, we've got nine chapters. We're only going to make it through two verses. Uh, I think we'll cover more verses next week. But I'm going to kind of give you an introduction about Amos. So I want you to do this. Take a mental note. And think of the most country person you ever knew, okay? When I say country, don't just think country, think country, right? Like think the most country boy that you've ever seen in your life. You got a mental picture? I mean, if you don't know that guy, then, you know, his name's probably Bubba, right? He's probably missing some teeth. He probably wears some overalls, you know, maybe he's a little bit overweight, okay? Think of the most country redneck boy that you probably can think of, right? You got that mental picture? Okay, that's kind of Amos, okay? That's Amos, a country boy. So it says in our, in our text, it says, Amos, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. So Amos, this is interesting. Amos is a prophet, but he's not a man who was raised as a prophet. He's not a man who went to any school of prophet. This is a shepherd. He's a country boy, kind of a country bumpkin. He's a, the, the place where he was raising sheep. And Tekoa is kind of a, a really desolate kind of place. It's one of those places where you say, man, they live way out on the outskirts of kind of Fayette County, right? I mean, it's all country living right here. So this is kind of, this is Amos. He's a country boy. He's living out, out from the city. He's, that's what he does. Uh, by the way, if you live in Fayette, that's, that, there, there's, I'm not saying it's your country. Well, actually, I might be saying that because that's probably why you want to live there. He's a country boy. He shepherded sheep. That's what he did. We also find that he did some farming, some fig trees. Also, we discover later on that there was another season of the year that he would have done fig tree work. So he's a farmer. So here's a shepherd and a farmer called to be a prophet. Now, what's interesting about him is he's from Judah. So Tekoa. Now, if, if you've been here and you know the history, basically... The, the Israel has been split. The kingdom is in two different places. Uh, you've you split in two. You've got the southern kingdom, Judah, the northern kingdom, Israel. And what's interesting is Amos is from the southern kingdom. But Amos comes up and he's preaching to the northern kingdom of Israel. You tracking with me so far? Now, just so you know, if you're the northern kingdom, Israel, and someone from the southern kingdom comes and preaches to you and preaches to you a message that isn't really a message that benefits you. It's a message of judgment. Do you think you're going to be you're going to like this person or kind of be upset with this person? Kind of upset. And not only on top of that, it's not like he's some smooth tongue orator with professional training. It's not like he's been and, and had a great seminary degree. This is the country bumpkin. This is Amos. Is this the guy who's plucked up from shepherding and comes in and delivers a message from God? Here's what I love about Amos. In all my years of pastoral ministry, I've now, I'm coming up on 22 years of being in pastoral ministry. Okay, when I was 19, the Lord allowed me to start working full-time in a church uh, in pastoral ministry. Uh, I've been a lead pastor now, I think for a little over 11 years, but been support pastor, executive, youth pastor. It's been 22 years of full-time ministry. In all that time, 
the best pastors and the best missionaries that I've seen didn't necessarily have the most education. Okay, you, you get that right? Like the people who really, I think like, man, like these people really, they love their people. They're faithful to the word. They're good shepherds. I mean, they're being faithful to evangelize. They're being faithful to make disciples. It hasn't always been the person with the most education. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, there's been people with lots of education and were great, but not necessarily. Here's what I love about Amos. As we study this book, I, I want you to realize we're not dealing with a guy that had any professional training from school of prophets or anything like that. We're dealing with Amos, country bumpkin Amos. We're, we're dealing with Bubba here, right? We're, we're dealing with the guy at the overalls who is out there taking care of the sheep and out there farming and doing hard work, working by the sweat of his brow. And the Lord says, why don't you leave the sheep and come preach to the goats? Why don't you go to the goats and the kind of elite affluent center of Israel? That's where God sends him. Here's what I love. If there was ever a time in our life where we would say to ourselves, like, Lord, I am not qualified. I don't have enough training. I can't do, man, what you want me to do, Lord? Like, this is just too much for me. Like, I need, man, like, this is only for a preacher. Man, you got to have, I mean, like, all the excuses we want to use, like, Amos strips those excuses away. Amos had none of that. I mean, God had called Amos, and if God calls you, that's enough. And in fact, I'll tell you this, in my life, I feel like the people who I've seen make disciples and do ministry are people that, that the training, the training is good. Don't get me wrong. Get the training. If you can get it, get it. But you don't have to have it all if God's called you. In fact, I'll tell you this. My pastor today, the man that I count as my pastor, is a man who doesn't have a bit of formal education. The first church I worked in was under a, a guy by the name of Steve Ham. And uh, Steve Ham basically became the pastor of the church that, that God uh, called him to because he was a member of that church. And he told his pastor, I love this story. He told his pastor, hey, God's called me to preach and uh, I'm going to start putting out resumes to see if there's some churches that w- would like to have me as their pastor. Remember, there's, now this is kind of a country church, so it's not uncommon in kind of country churches that you may have a pastor that doesn't have a seminary degree. And so uh, he tells his pastor that and his pastor says, would you just wait a couple weeks? And uh, he, and so he says, sure, I'll wait. And then the next week, the pastor resigns. And <laughs> when he resigns, he recommends to the church that, that, that Steve Ham be their next pastor, right? How awesome is that? He takes over and starts pastoring that church. He's now been pastoring that church for 26 years. That man taught me ministry. That man actually, no formal education, but the man loved the word. He loved people. He loves to shepherd his people. And he's still there today doing it faithfully. I consider him one of the best pastors I've ever known. And I've known lots of pastors. He's not preaching to thousands. You're not going to find him. You're not going to find books written by him. But he's a man who's faithfully out there. And what's interesting for living, what this guy was, he was a carpenter. Actually, his specific trade was he was a sheetrocker. Now, I'll tell you this, dude, man, this dude, he can, he can mud a wall like you've never seen in your life, right? But man, God called him. God said, get out of that and come into this. That's Amos. That's our boy Amos that we're going to be reading about. So as you're reading through this and you're seeing what Amos does, and even I love the language he uses is really plain. This is a country boy just obeying God and doing what he wants, what he wants God wants, what he wants God for him to do. If you were to read over in chapter seven, verse 14, you'll see that Amos says, I was no prophet nor prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go and prophesy to the people of Israel. That's our, that's our guy, Amos. You know, even this, um, 
in the last couple of years, I've gotten involved in, uh, and some of y'all know this, um, a, a network called No Place Left. And um, one of the things I've seen, here's the interesting thing. It seems like a lot of times what, what happens is, this is kind of even ministry too. Like you want to be in ministry, you want to be a missionary, you got to go to school first, which I'm not decrying school because, I mean, like in a couple of weeks, I'll be teaching a class out at a Bible college, right? So don't think that I'm decrying formal education. I'm I'm actually going to be slowly starting to work towards a doctorate myself here, right? So don't think that I'm decrying formal education or anything of that nature. But over these last couple of years, I've met some new missionaries going to the field through this No Place Left Network. And some of these going to the field, like to India and to Nepal, don't have any formal Bible education. They're just out making, they were out making disciples in Memphis and like planting churches and making disciples and like doing the work. Not a lot of formal education, but being very faithful in their work. These guys, when they go overseas, they tear up all the seminary trained missionaries that come in. Because the seminary trained missionaries a lot of times come in with just, just, just a lot of lecture knowledge from the classroom, but not like working in the streets at it. These people come in and they just do phenomenal work. So what am I telling you by telling you these stories? I'm, I'm telling you this. If God calls you, that's enough. If God calls you, friend, that's enough. Amos is that guy. If you ever want to look at an example like, Lord, I just don't think there's anybody. Everybody has a degree. That's what's going to have to have. Or everybody, ha- no, look at Amos. He's a shepherd. But the Lord says, you go. And I'm telling you, man, when someone is called by God, that's all they need. No matter how unpolished or untrained they might be, sometimes you will be trained as you go. Sometimes they call building the plane as you fly, right? Sometimes that's how it goes. In fact, I will tell you this. I think some of the best got people who do ministry and make disciples are people who they don't have all the answers, but they just jump in head first. And as that plane is flying, they're starting to add more pieces to that plane. That's how it kind of works. If we wait until we feel completely competent to do anything for Jesus, guess what we'll do? Nothing. That's how it happens. Nothing. And let's be honest with our souls. Every time in life we've waited to do what God wants us to do till we were ready, till we were ready, till we were ready. Have we, in the end, probably just not done it? Really? I mean, isn't that how it typically always works? We just don't do it? No, here's Amos. He's out there just taking care of sheep, being a good man, taking care of the fig trees, being a good man. Then the Lord says, Amos, it's time to go. (laughs) I even love, if you look at the text, look in verse (laughs) 2. Okay, so... When I was in, you know, learning how to preach and stuff, right? You take homiletics class. They teach you, they teach you to do these points and sometimes make all your points to have like the same letter front, you know, and all that. Like sometimes I'll have points just because that's how I'm trained. Sometime like today, I just want to be rebellious and not have points. So that's just kind of my, my own nature. I don't want to be tamed or put in any box. But what's interesting is this. When you do these classes on preaching, they always tell you like, start off with a nice story, right? Get everybody's attention and tell them a nice story and, and I love that. I think it's a great kind of kind of way to get in. But I kind of look like how Amos does it, right? Amos, remember, this is a country bumpkin. Not trained, not from a school of prophets or anything like that. I love how he jumps in. He's a, a foreigner. He's from Judah coming into the northern kingdom of Israel. Watch how he starts off his message. The Lord roars from Zion. <laughs> I love that. Like, so if you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, man, I can't do ministry. What if I go in there and just all aggressive? What if I go in there and just like a bull in a china closet? Well, you have great company right here with Amos. How does he start his message? The Lord roars from Zion. Now, you read that message. I read this and I don't get very like, okay, the Lord roars from Zion. Rawr. Okay, yeah, I, I get it. Great. 
That's because every lion I've ever seen in my life is in a cage. So I'm not really afraid of lions. But yet, in their culture, like you were afraid of lions. Like when you were out on the path and you heard a lion, that was a very frightening kind of, kind of, kind of feeling. Uh, let me kind of bring it down. Have any of you been camping before or camping in a place that potentially had like bears? Like camping in one of those places where it says, hey, Put your food in this box at night in case there's bears, right? Have you ever camped in a place like that? And do you remember like at night when you had to go to the bathroom thinking to yourself, Lord, please let there not be a bear. Or if you ever hear a bear and you're just thinking like, Jesus, this is it. Like I'm a goner now, right? Think that. Put yourself in that. Or if you've ever just been like camping and, and the mystery of the darkness outside when you're camping and you're just wondering like what, what, what evil creature lurks out there. Think that. That's how he comes in and addresses these people. The Lord roars from Zion. I love that Amos is just a country bumpkin doing what God has called him to do. Flying, learning, building the plane as he's flying. What God has called us to do, we can do. If he's called you, then you're fine. I was reminded this even more this past week or last week we were in Mexico and I have heard uh, Ray Hansen. He is the leader of the Reynosa Children's Home that we go to each summer and do our, our mission trip. If you've not ever got to go with us on this trip, uh, man, start making plans for next summer. But Ray always gives his testimony and he said something in his testimony that I've never caught this past time. Every time he gives you his testimony of how this children's home came together and, and the ministry they do down there, he, he adds little details and things. And so every time you hear it, you pick up new things. Well, when he was doing it, he said something I never heard him say. And maybe others who've been have said him, have, have heard this. But when he went to Reynosa, he was 49 years old. I always thought Ray was like this 22-year-old, you know, like, you know, dumb 20-year-old who just like believed God and just had enough zeal to just go out and do what God wants him to do because only only a young man could be stupid enough to, 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 to leave it all and go do it. You know what I'm thinking? I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of zeal I remember having in my 20s. Now I, I think I kind of, I'm getting to my 40s. I like to kind of play it safe, right? I, I like my creature comforts. But he said he was 49 years old. When he was he was a he was a principal in a Christian school here in, in Garland, Texas, and God called him to be a missionary in Mexico. And if you know the story, like he goes out there, there's nothing there. They basically take a trash dump piece of land. It was literally a dumping area in Reynosa. And from that, build a children's home where there's 80 children today. They have a Christian school there. They'll have about 700 that will come to that. I mean, like they are a beacon of light. They've now done outreach outside of their facility and have actually gone into a colonia, which is kind of a very impoverished place uh, outside of Reynosa. And they've begun to actually help us school there and establish things in the community that propagate the gospel. It's like all these great things. He was 49 years old and had not had this formal Bible college education. He was a Christian school principal, but he got into that just basically through like years of being in the church. And when I was listening to this man, I was like, that's just like Amos. Like, like here's a guy who who is just being a Christian school principal, doesn't know anything about missions or missionary, doesn't know, just God calls him and he goes and he does it. I love that. That's Amos. That's the kind of guy we're dealing with in this text. A shepherd boy. Now keep looking at verse 1. Are you still with me? Are you okay? Okay. So that's Amos. That's Amos. That's our guy. 
It says in verse one, we the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, and it says, which he saw concerning Israel. That's the northern kingdom in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Right. So he gets this vision. He gets this message of what he needs to preach and he's to preach it to the northern kingdom Israel. But it's during the time frame when 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 King there's King Jeroboam and King Uzziah in Judah. So this kind of gives you the time frame. This would probably be about 760 A.D. somewhere in that. So that's what's kind of happening. Just so you know, to kind of give you some background, you remember what book we just finished preaching? It begins with a J. Jonah, right? Jonah was a prophet to the to the northern kingdom Israel, but God sent him from being a prophet to the northern kingdom Israel to go to the foreign Assyrian. All right. Get that right. Who was the king while while Jonah went and preached to the Assyrians? It was Jeroboam, the second here. And Amos is a contemporary of Jonah. The interesting thing is this. Jonah goes and preaches to the Assyrians. He's a he's a northern Israel prophet. And yet now God uses Amos to go in and preach to where Jonah's from to the same king. Isn't it interesting how God works? It just it was a side thought. God never works the way I think God should work. Have you ever noticed that? So like I'm asking myself, like, God, how come you didn't leave Jonah there to preach to his people? Because he was an extreme nationalist. Like this guy could have done it. But yet you sent Jonah over to Assyria and then you take this country bumpkin Okay, of Amos, and you send him to Israel. Why, why didn't you send the country bumpkin to Assyria? I mean, they probably, I mean, they wouldn't have known it. They wouldn't know what he was like. Why didn't you send him there and leave Jonah to his own people? I mean, Jonah was trained up. He was a prophet. He probably spoke their language. He was slick. Because God just doesn't do things the way that I want God to do things. Have you discovered that yet in your life? That God never doesn't seem to do things the way I want God to do things? Frustrating. Now that's not in the text. That's just reading outside the historical lines. Two prophets ministering at the same time to the same kingdom sent two different directions and it doesn't make a bit of sense. But isn't that how God does things? Why does God do things that way? Because God wants to get glory for his name. God wants himself to be exalted. God wants people to go, yeah, you are Yahweh. You are Yahweh so much that you decide to send Amos into Israel and Jonah over to Assyria and God is glorified and magnified in the midst of all of it. So even in the background, as you're looking at this, I just want you to understand this is happening. This is after what Jonah has done, but it's to the same king, King Jeroboam, the second of Israel. And so just so you know, that's kind of going on behind the scenes of what God is doing. And and just so you know, uh, Jonah, one of the reasons he didn't want to go to Assyria is because it was going to be unpopular to preach to these people. He probably wasn't well received by the northern kingdom of Israel for him preaching repentance to an enemy of Israel. But at the same time, now God calls this prophet Amos to go preach to the northern kingdom and people didn't like his message either. In fact, a false prophet of Amaziah comes in and says, basically says to King Jeroboam, you'll see this later on in Amos, like, man, these people can't handle this. Like what Amos is preaching to us, like our land can't handle this. He's, he's not delivering very pleasant messages to us, which is just another side thought that God gave me as I was studying this text, that even when you are doing what God wants you to do, that doesn't mean everybody's going to like it. Get this, just listen Just because you're doing what God wants you to do doesn't mean everybody's going to like it, right? They did not like what Amos was doing, but he was doing God's will. Here's what happens sometimes. We're doing God's will. We think sometimes that everybody should just applaud us. 
I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been preaching 22 years. I still haven't been signing anybody's Bible, right? It's not like everybody likes what you're doing when you're following God. It's okay. As long as you're pleasing him, man, that's enough. That's Amos. That's our guy. Now, what's interesting is you keep looking in the text here. I'm just trying to give you some background about it. It says that he uh, notice at the end of verse one, it says two years before the earthquake. So God gives Jonah, um, gives Amos this message and he delivers this message two years before the earthquake. The interesting thing is there was this huge earthquake that happened two years later. And so when we read and study the rest of this book, we see that that God has some challenging messages for Israel and and and. Amos already delivers these messages about how powerful Yahweh is. And then they have this earthquake. And this earthquake is such a great earthquake that even Zechariah talks about it. Even you can look historically and even there's some archaeological evidence that this about this earthquake that happened uh, around 760 to 780 A.D., which is which is just an interesting thing that God shows his power. Even a couple years later, the very words of what Amos said was going to happen. Like Amos predicted that, yes, Assyria is going to come and get you and God is going to judge you for not not following the Lord and walking away from the Mosaic law. Like the Lord's going to come for you and the Lord shows it through an earthquake. Now, I just want to point something on the side. This is a rabbit trail. People say to me, how do you know the word of God is true? How do you know the word of God is true? Little evidences like that, like you can look through archaeological history and find out there is there was a huge earthquake around that time. All right. There's a there's a there's a huge fault that's there. So e- even if you look and you, you that's just a side little thing. Another evidence that says this is God's word. It's true. OK, let's keep going. Let's look at what he had to say about these people. Are you still with me? Are you OK? All right, so we're just breaking in. I'm just trying to break you into the background of Amos. That's why we're not covering much today. I want you to get the background of what's going on in this whole book and who this guy is that's writing it. Now, I want you to look at his message here. He says, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. I want you to notice something. Zion. That's another name for God's city. Uh, it's also a name used for Jerusalem. He says the word Jerusalem. He says the word Carmel. It's a, it's a mountain peak. It, from Carmel, it's kind of right on the west coast. And from Mount Carmel, you can oversee like so many things from Israel and Judah. You can just oversee. And what's interesting is in the text, he says the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. So where, where is God judging his people from his own place, right? Israel, from Judah, from, from, from among his own people. That's where God is. Now, here's what's interesting. We're not going to study it this week. We're going to look at it next week. The whole scope of this book, when you start in verse 3 next week of chapter 1 and make your way all the way through chapter 2, what's interesting is this. God is judging the six nations surrounding Israel and Judah. So get this. He comes in. He says, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. He's delivering this message to the northern kingdom of Israel. But yet, the first group, the first nations he addresses in the very beginning are the six Gentile heathen nations that are surrounding them. And then once you get to chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 9, he's showing judgment that's going to come on Israel. Some on Judah, but mostly on Israel. Now it's interesting. Why would God do that? Why would God, why would he come in and he'd say this? The Lord roars from Zion and utters from Jerusalem. 
the pastors of the shepherds mourn, which just means basically like God's judging, God's judging them. There's some kind of famine that's coming for you. It's not going to be good for you. The pastors of the shepherds mourn. The top of Carmel withers. Like this is a place where we celebrate, but it's not going to be a place where they're celebrating anymore. Like famine and hardship have hit. In their culture, famine and hardship were always a sign that like there was a curse on you. This was kind of God's promise for the promised land. Like if you obey me, it will go good and your land will be blessed. If you disobey me, you will be stricken with famine and disease. This is going to go bad for you. So we see that he basically comes in and says, this is this is not going to be good for your land. Like the Lord roars from Zion. And then the first thing he does is he starts talking about the foreign nations. Now, when I studied this, I kind of thought to myself like, Lord, why would you do that? Like, why would his first message be the Lord roars from Zion? I mean, gets everybody all stirred up. The Lord roars and then says Zion, Jerusalem, Carmel. And then the very first judgments he calls out, six judgments from chapter one to chapter two. It's against these pagan nations that surround Israel and Judah. Why would God do that? Because the whole book after that, he talks about Israel. He talks about the judgment that's coming towards them for their sins. Like, why would God do that? I'll tell you why. Hold your place there and you can look at this one verse. This is what the Lord kind of popped into my head. First Peter four seventeen. First Peter four seventeen. First Peter four seventeen. This is why I titled this message. If you um, God's judgment starts with his people. God's judgment starts with his people. First Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, Peter, in that context, is talking about suffering for righteousness, like persecution. And he, he says that basically he's saying like persecution can be something that sanctifies you. That is like a form of discipline that God uses in your life to conform you to his image. But he puts this thought like, man, if you're suffering for righteousness sake and you're like looking at your own sin, your own life. And like basically you're judging yourself like what's the outcome going to be for everybody else. So like Peter's putting across this idea like worry about your own sin first. Judge your own sin first. Like judge yourself first. Right. And what's interesting is, why would he start off this way and say, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. That's from the top of Carmel withers. And then go in and start talking about all the pagan nations first in judgment. I mean, in my mind, I would think, like, Lord, why don't he just, why doesn't he go right in in the first eight, nine, the first eight chapters is about what Israel is doing. And then maybe the last chapter, he tacks it on and talks about these six, four nations surrounding. Like, why do you even do it that way, Lord? Once again, Lord, you're not doing things my way. Any y'all ever say that? Like, once again, Lord, you're not doing it my way. Well, here's the reason why I think, I think the Lord's baiting them. Like, so here's what happens. He walks in, the Lord roars from Zion, he utters his voice from Jerusalem, the top of Carmel withers, gets everybody all stirred up, and then he starts talking about these foreign nations. And then, so what do you think Israel starts doing? Like, at first, here comes, here, here comes the country bumpkin, he's preaching, and then he's like, hey, judgment's coming on Edom, judgment's coming on the Philistines, judgment's coming on Syria, judgment's coming on Moab, and what do you think all the northern kingdom Israelites are doing? Yeah, go get them! Like, amen, preacher. Like, you were, I'm in your corner. I mean, there was a lot of amens coming out of this message. And then he flips over and says in chapter 2, verse 4, he's like, now, Israel and Judah, it's your turn. 
it's your turn. And basically, he baits them and sets them up. But I love at the very beginning of verse 2, they shouldn't have been surprised by this, but they were blinded by their own sin. He says, the Lord roars from Zion, from Jerusalem, from Carmel, from like your own place. Like the Lord judges from there. Well, he's trying to get across this idea that you must judge yourself first. Now, it's interesting. If you were to look later on in this book, in chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord brings judgment on his own people, Israel. He says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The Lord is basically saying, you have so much more light than what these foreign nations have. And because you have so much more light, you have so much more accountability and responsibility. Luke 12 says, everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. What are all things happening here in our text in verse 2? Why does he give this frightening kind of the Lord roars and utters his voice from, from Zion, from Jerusalem, but then talks about the foreign nations? Because he wants them to know that like, I'm going to judge those foreign nations. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to judge them, but I'm judging you first. Like judgment starts at your own house. Like this is where I'm judging from. I'm judging from Jerusalem. Like you know what the Lord has said. You know what his law says. You know what the covenants are. You know what, what the Lord has instructed you to do. Like you know this. Here's what I'm, I notice in, in, in all of our lives, in my life. When we don't judge ourselves first, we are prideful, hypocritical, unforgiving, bitter towards everybody around us. Like there is, you have got to judge yourself first. I love Matthew 7 that says before you want to take the beam, the the speck out of your brother's eye, what do you need to notice? The beam that's in your own. Like you got to judge yourself first. And the interesting thing is this. Because Israel didn't judge themselves first, what did they do? They walked in wanton sinness. And what did that do? That they never went out and evangelized. They didn't evangelize these surrounding nations. You know, God's call on Israel was not just to get God's laws and to get God. It was that they get God so that they could spread his light to the Gentile nations. Like Israel's job was to spread to the Gentiles. Now it's the Gentiles job to spread to Israel. But at that point, it was Israel to spread to the Gentiles. What an indictment right here. Because they had not judged themselves Now God is going and he's judging these foreign nations. These foreign nations who should have had the light of the glorious gospel. That This should have been what what was happening. But because Israel was not fighting its own sin. Israel was enjoying themselves. And in fact, even in this text, what you find is they had enjoyed historically at this point, probably the most prosperity they ever had um, uh, like enjoyed. So much so that when you read later on, like I love Amos, he's this country guy. He, he calls all the ladies that all the men who have been getting wealthy off the backs of poor people and, and doing injustice and social injustice in the city and had basically been pilfering poor people to make more money. He basically calls all the wives of these guys cows, right? He says, you cows of Bashan, like, cause it, all these wives were encouraging their husbands to keep pilfering the poor so that they could keep getting richer and having all the things they want in life. Like, like Amos holds nothing back from these people. These people were walking into wanton sinness against God's law, against Moses' commandments. And the indicting thing is this, because they did that, they didn't go out and spread the message among these pagan nations. And because they did that, they didn't go and do what God wanted to do. So like Amos is getting at this idea, like you got to judge yourself first. 
And in fact, later on in chapter two through nine, he's going to describe that like the Lord is judging you. And like there's a judgment that's coming for you for all this. But it struck my heart where I'm just reading this and I'm like, man, the Lord does this from Zion, from Jerusalem. But these guys aren't getting it. Man, these guys aren't getting it. Maybe that's why the Lord had to send somebody that was outside of Israel, a prophet that wasn't from their own. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? Doesn't remind you that Jesus comes as somebody not from his own. He comes, the God of heaven comes among us. Now, don't get me wrong. People say like, so is God not concerned about the foreign nations? Yeah, he's concerned about the foreign nations because he's going to judge them. They're doing horrific things around them. These foreign nations, they're doing things like not holding their peace treaty. They're doing things like hurting and killing children who were not born yet. They're 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 doing uh, rancid slavery all over the place. So lots of bad things are happening, even among this pagan nations that that we'll see in chapter one, verse three through chapter two, verse four. They're doing all these bad things. But friends, I think some of these bad things are happening even more to epic level because Israel is not doing what God wants him to do. Like Israel has fallen away from what God wants him to do. Like judgment must start at the house of God. It must start at yourself. I even someone said to me years ago. I was so frustrated in a church I was in that people were not trying to make disciples or evangelize. And I was just so like, man, what do we got to do to get people out there to do this? And this this is a new believer. He said to me, well, people aren't doing it because they know their life isn't being lived for the Lord. And so like they're they don't want to tell people about Jesus because they're not living for Jesus. Now, that should have been like an elementary thought to myself. But at that moment, I was like, like mine exploded. That's these guys. That's what's going on in the text. By the way, I want to answer a question for you that comes up sometimes. Next week, when we look at verses 3 through chapter 2, verse 3, God is judging all these foreign nations. And so at some point, somebody would ask and say, wait a minute. These foreign nations, like, so if Israel didn't do their job in living holy so they could show what a holy God was like and evangelize and give the light to these other pagan nations. Like, why is God holding these pagan nations in any kind of judgment? It's not their fault. Like, God's people didn't do their job. It's not their fault. Well, here's the deal. The scriptures say, because I had this question come up all the time. People say, well, what happens if someone in some remote place doesn't ever hear the gospel message? Doesn't that mean they still go to heaven? Doesn't that mean, like, they get a pass? I mean, what don't they? And I would say this. They don't. And why is that? Because everybody is guilty. It, when we think that, we're thinking everybody's intrinsically good. And there's no one that's intrinsically good. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. So even the person who's never heard of the gospel message, like they have an understanding that there is a God, that there that you can't look at creation and not understand that there's a God. Even you find this, even among places where the gospel hasn't been preached, they have rules. And a lot of times those rules mimic the Ten Commandments, the very laws of God, even the most primitive kind of cultures like murder is considered a thing that you don't usually do. Why is that? The law of God written on their hearts. But even the side note is this, even the rules they make for themselves, they can't even keep. So that shows you even how unrighteous a person is. So when we look at these pagan nations that are surrounding them and they're being judged for Israel not doing, they're being judged, although Israel could have had a greater impact on that, that still doesn't take away the fact that God is pouring his judgment out on sinful, rebellious people. I mean, this is what's happening all around. There's nobody that's without excuse. Nobody is innocent. When we think that, we're thinking that people are intrinsically good. No, they're not. They're guilty. And so like, for me and my soul, like I don't get caught up on this thing like of election and predestination and in the sense that everybody's bad anyways. Like I, 
I'd never deserve to get salvation. So it doesn't surprise me that some come to faith and some don't. I'm actually sitting over here kind of surprised that anybody gets saved, right? I mean, I've been a Christian now since age 16. I'm 40. I am, I have got to see the ugliness of the thoughts that I have. And I think to myself, why did you even save me? Like, what a, what a rotten person I am. Like, it, it, live long enough. Live long enough and be honest enough with yourself. You're going to see that you're not really that great of a person, right? I mean, it, I remember my early 20s, you know, becoming a follower of Jesus and rolled into my 20s. And some of those real big moral sins had kind of dropped off my life and reading the Bible every day, going through Bible education. And I just kind of thought to myself, like, man, I've arrived, Jesus. Like, I'm a really good person and people should listen to me. In fact, everything I say, people should do. I mean, like really thinking a lot of great things about myself. And then like my 30s hit. And I start to get kind of honest with what's going on in my soul many times. And I'm starting to realize like, oh, it's me. Like, God, I'm surprised you even saved any of us. And like the more I grow in Christ, the closer I grow to him, I see his holiness. I see my sinfulness. And you know what that causes me to do? Forgive more, be less bitter. It causes me to treat people different. I mean, I mean like before I can point the finger at someone else's sin, and don't get me wrong, you hang around me, I'll point out sin, all right? Not afraid to do it, but man, I'm, I'm going double barrel towards myself first. But they don't do this. And, and these pagan nations that we're going to see coming up, none of them were without, or all of them were without excuse. So people would say, so like, so like what happens if a missionary never goes? Yeah, that person, those people go to hell. That's why God calls missionaries. Like, Jesus has come to save us and has, his part of his saving is he's calling some of us to be missionaries. He's calling us to give to missions. He's calling us to go after the nation. He wants his grace to not only go towards his people, but those who are not his people. So when I read this text of Amos and I see that he starts off and he goes to God's people and he calls on them and, and, but then God does judgment towards people who are not his people yet. That tells me that God still cares for the nations. That tells me that God has something to do with the nations. That God will judge the nations, but he'd rather that the gospel gets to the nations. That's the good news. And so people sometimes say, well, what about, what if those nations don't want the good news? Well, if those nations don't want the good news, it's because they think they're good. But I know something different. But that doesn't mean I don't give the good news. It just If you don't know that you're bad, you don't think that you need it, but that doesn't subtract from what I'm supposed to do. Good people never think they need the good news. These people, all these pagan nations that are going to get judged pretty severely, they thought they didn't need the good news, but they did need the good news. And God's heart is for those kind of people. And I like that God takes us back to this this principle in verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn. The top of Carmel withers. Like he's going back to his own people. He's pointing out their own sin. They must judge themselves before they go and judge others. And when we do that, we'll go, we'll go reach the nations. When we don't do that, the nations crumble around them. And the nations around Israel are going to get judged. And they're going to get judged pretty severely. And only that, Israel's going to get judged. They get judged pretty severely. And then after that, Judah gets judged. They get judged pretty severely, right? That's what we see in our text. Now, let me give you a bit of good news. It's like, man, why did I get up and come and hear this today? You know, we were down in Mexico, and 
So, man, we've supported um, Ray Hansen in that ministry for decades now. Man, we've, for over 20 years, we've been sending people down there. A lot of times it was Tom Ash leading these trips that I, that I understand, and Tom's not able uh, to go anymore. And, um, and we go down there and do work, and man, like God's always doing things. He's saving people. I mean, like the, the money we're sending is doing amazing work there. Here's one thing I noticed. I don't know, um, I'm, uh, when we last, two Sundays ago, while you were in church here and Jay was preaching, we were in a church out in the Colonia, right? Which, remember, it's kind of an impoverished area outside of Reynosa. I mean, like, more impoverished than what typical Mexico is, right? Like, very impoverished area. But everything's dirt roads. There's no roads. There's no sanitate. There's no, like, government kind of thing or like that. Um, at this Colonia area, the, the government has school a school there. But it's kind of one of those things where a teacher may or may not show up, right? It's just very poorly run. So... Low probability of education happen. If there's low probability of education, then there's not going to be a lot of sustainability. Not a lot of gospel light. Just kind of a dark place. It's a lot of place where like drugs and and cartels can hide out. And and the people very impoverished there. I mean, it's not very good. So Ray and it, what they do is they decide to start investing in that school. They basically tell the government and say, listen, if you'll let us put our teachers in that school and teach... We'll make sure teachers are there, right? We'll pay the bill on that. We'll put the bill on that if you'll let us teach what we want, put our teachers there. We'll fix it up. We'll make it good. We'll make it something for community. People can start getting education. We'll make it a center hub of the community. It'll be the best thing in the community. And the, what do you think the Mexico government did? Have at it. <laughs> like, why not? That sounds like a really great idea. So now they've decided to reach out. Okay, so the Lord's blessed this ministry They've got 80 kids in the children's home. It's rocking along. Man, they've got a Christian school that has grown, that it helps to fund things, that is a, is a light in, in, a, in a poor education system in Reynosa. Like all these great things are happening on their campus. And then they say, we can't just keep it to ourselves. It has to move out past us. So they go to this colonia and start spending their own money. Money that we send, this, I think it's six to $700 a month we send, that's that's money that gets used for even this colonia. They reach out. They start building and adding buildings and renovating buildings. And the very students, the very kids that have been raised up through that children's home that they had sent to college. You know that your money, when you when we support this children's home, that Ray, that they use that money also to pay for their continued education. Like these people, like Reynosa is becoming gospel transformed through this ministry, right? And so the principle of this colonia school is Quincy, who was raised up in that children's home, right? Who is now sent out and doing that work. He, and here's what I noticed. I'll tell you all that to say this. We were in a church service last Sunday, and I was just kind of like doing some kind of Facebook Live kind of stuff, just so in case any of you go to our Facebook page, you can kind of watch. And I, first of all, I was kind of jealous, to be honest with you, because Ray, <laughs> Ray, bless his heart, he really, he really knows what us, you know, weak, soft gringos are like. Um, he brought us in like halfway in the church service and then took us out after like a quarter of the service because he said their services last about four hours, right? Because they're in no hurry. They want to do community. I mean, they, they do a lot of things. I was like super jealous, right? So just saying, okay? Like, man, a lot of moving components happen among them. They're in no hurry. It's an, it's an event. But, um, but I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm like, man, 
like, is there any connection between this church and the school that's happening? And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, because there's a good school there, a gospel-centered school, we're teaching Christ-centered stuff, and it's the government. You know, it's a government school. Like, people are getting saved. Like, people are coming to Jesus. We're providing clean water. They have the best filtration system in that area. They provide clean water from that colonia for the area residents. They don't have clean drinking water there. Like, the best. Like, he said, it's the best filtered system. Like, all these great things are happening and that church is actually experiencing the fruit of it. And now that church and that school, they, they like work together. Now, what do we see there? We see God's people judging themselves first. When they judge themselves first, God does really great things. So like Ray and his people, they judge themselves first and go, God's done a great work among us. Look at this campus we have. If you've been out there, like it's amazing what God has built out there and what what support and what gospel ministry happens. And it's like, this isn't enough. We got to go out past ourselves. And Ray told me a couple years, he said, when we started working in this colonia and started doing outreach out there, he said, it revitalized us. Like it charged us. Like it it kind of shook us out of our stupor. And it's costly. I mean, we were out there. We spent half the week out at that colonia painting and doing construction work. And that, that wasn't donated from the government. That came from the supporters of this ministry. Like we, there's nothing that Ray has to gain for himself by doing this outreach in his colonia. But what happens? God's people judge themselves first. And when God's people judge themselves first, like righteousness happens. And that colonia, four years later, four to five years later, is more is a better place than it was before because God's people judged themselves and got involved and reached out past themselves. So that's good news. So when I read the book of Amos and I see what happens, I'm discouraged, but I'm also encouraged to say this. When God's people do what they're supposed to do, it doesn't have to look like it's going to look like next week. It doesn't have to look like it's going to look like. Now we're going to talk about it next week. We're going to talk about these injustices these foreign nations committed and, and, and God's judgment that's going to come on them. But first, I want us to remember that we got to judge ourselves. As we judge ourselves, man, friends, we'll deliver the gospel to people. We'll walk in holiness. Like a person walking in a holy life can't do anything but declare the grace of God to people. I've always noticed this. Over the last couple of years, I've been more diligent through, through, to actually try to encourage people to evangelize than I have before in the past. And I do notice this. It seems like the people walking in holiness the most are typically the most receptive to that idea. Just, just get me. The people walking in holiness the most seem to be the most receptive to the idea of evangelizing around them. Why is that? Because they're so overcome by the grace of God that could forgive them. They're so overcome by it that they're just like, yes, I'm scared to do this. I don't know if I'm any good at it, but like I want to. I want to. Like that desire's there. So I think Amos is going to be a good study for us to judge ourselves and to mourn what happens when people don't judge themselves. And then to be hopeful that God, through the work of Christ, is helping us judge ourselves so that we can take this gospel to the nations and I'm a little bit encouraged that that I got to go to Mexico a couple of weeks ago and I got to see what happens when the gospel starts to reach the nations. Like Reynosa is not a perfect place. It's probably still considered the most dangerous place on the planet. But it's a little bit better than it was a couple of years ago because of the work of God. You get that? Hey, would you pray with me?
as we sing to the Lord. So thank you for this book of Amos. Israel failed. They didn't judge themselves. They walked in their own way. Started their own kingly line that wasn't the, that wasn't the, wasn't the Davidic line. They walked in sin. They worshipped Baal. And all these things didn't accomplish what you, what you had set out for them. But their sin never held back your ultimate plan to bring back your Messiah. To bring the Messiah. So I'm so thankful that even in the midst of their weakness, your plan could not be thwarted. That you still kept a Davidic line alive. And that you brought the Savior. Help us to walk in light of that today. Help us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind by your truth. Help us to repent of our sinfulness by your convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Help us boldly go into the nations from our coworker to our neighbors to those we meet that we can make disciples starting with declaring the gospel and helping people to obey all your commands until you come and get us so that we can hear, hear well done, my good and faithful servant. Help us. Let us praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, church body, and just have a time of praising him, and then we'll be dismissed.